Welcome to Mint, the podcast exploring the Web3 creator economy. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you what's happening at the corner where crypto meets creators by interviewing Web3's top creative entrepreneurs, collectors, and founders. This episode is brought to you by the composable and decentralized social graph Lens Protocol, who's ready for you to build on so that you can focus on creating a great experience, not scaling your users. Guys, I've talked about this on the podcast before. We as creators need to break through a new paradigm of social networking apps that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens Protocol isn't a social media app. It's designed to let Web3 social apps bloom. Own your content, own your social graph, own your data. Lens Protocol is the last social media handle you'll ever have to create. This episode welcomes a dear friend and a mentor, Joe Vizani. He's the CEO and co-founder of Lunar Crush, a social media analytics platform empowering traders with top-tier insights and sentiment on your favorite crypto projects. In this episode, we discuss key strategies for navigating through a bear market, the evolution of the Web3 social landscape, on-chain data versus off-chain data, how traders and creators can best leverage data, common pitfalls analysts fall trapped to, and what Joe is focused on in the bear market. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Joe Vizani, welcome to Mint. What's up? <laughs> What's up? I'm gonna have a hard time doing this interview. I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna break character too much. <laughs> but how many happen. episodes have you done of this? Uh, I think we're approaching 160. 160 episodes. And out of those 160 episodes, who do you think was the best interview? So meaning like they're the best everyone else slightly worse or you probably don't care about those people so like who was the number one <laughs> should, should i call out the bad people is that what you want me to do <laughs> no i'm not i'm not saying that but if that's what you're saying you know what i think this is going to be the best interview okay i'm convinced no uh people that i've really enjoyed conversations with so early in the season i had these two guys on they barely spoke english so it was hard but their story was the most fascinating they were these cyborgs that sort of experiment with their bodies and they, they, they have like one has an antenna that's like surgically implanted into his head and he sells NFTs that give people access to the camera of his antenna so that they can manipulate his, his color vision at all times. Wow. And then his, his buddy has like a pacemaker and he sold an NFT that gives people access to manipulate his heart rate at any given time. So that was probably like the most fascinating guest I've had on. Nobody is there, has is there like that. a standard deviation of like how high the heart rate could go? I mean, you can't. <laughs> You could kill the guy. <laughs> no. No, I don't know. But uh, he had no limitations. That guy's wild if he could. He's like, fuck it. He's like, fuck it. Just like hit me at 100 and, 180. I trust the world. <laughs> yeah. But uh, welcome to the podcast, a part of season six. This feels a little formal yet informal. Uh, you're an OG in my podcasting days from uh, Draper going home, doing blockchain and booze together. And now here we are. How you doing? I'm good, man. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I could be like 160 episodes. I, and now I'm on. Now you're on. I know. Now you, got, you had to go through 160 people. Let's, to get me on uh, let's, let's not go there. Let's just, <laughs> let's just get into it. Uh, I loved starting with a, with a quick intro. Okay. For those who aren't familiar with you, Joe, and your epicness and all the cool things you're doing at Lunar Crush, uh, give us a quick background. So I'm CEO, co-founder of Lunar Crush. Uh, Lunar Crush is a social intelligence tool. So what we do is we aggregate 
all of the world's social media data that's crypto, NFT, and stock specific now. Um, and we aggregate that over time so that people understand what do the communities look like across each of these projects or companies or communities or, you know, DAOs, whatever it may be. Um, we try and help people and protect investors by um, giving them a little bit more intelligence and a little bit more research in a, in a world where, um, you know, sentiment and social has such a great impact on what's going on in the markets. Um, we help people kind of dive deep into that. And so, you know, started it back in, back in 2017, 2018, uh, co-founders, John and Dan. Um, and yeah, man, just been, been cranking ever since. So how did you actually get your start into crypto? Because I feel like you're an OG, you're as OG as it gets, at least from a 2017 perspective, but you've been a, you've been a professional for a minute now. How, how did you get your, your transition into Web3? Yeah, I, I actually consider myself like almost like a second generation OG in a way where, I mean, I bought my first Bitcoin in January 2015, probably sold it in January 2015 at a loss and, you know, just kind of found Bitcoin and just, you know, always, always looking for interesting industries popping up. And it's more about the people that were in and around the space at the time. You know, I played a lot of, played a lot of video games as a kid, um, but also, you know, worked in finance and, and have done a lot of things. And so I saw kind of this like weird crossover of um, kind of like just gamer type folks that I, I grew up with and that type of mentality, but also like a crossover with money and, you know, financial instruments in a way. And um, was like, what is going on over here? And, you know, I, I kind of consider myself an entrepreneur at heart and, you know, it was like, I need to start something. I need to do something in this space. Um, you know, just, just too exciting. Too many people that I saw that I just respected and, you know, were whether they were, you know, they were ultra risk takers or just wacky or just into kind of counterculture type things in a way. It felt like that in those early days. And, um, you know, I was, I was all in. So you've known the other two co-founders for a minute now right? You guys, you guys worked at an agency together, right? Like a, a digital agency, a design agency, remind me. Yeah. An ad agency, John and I agency, worked together. Right. Yeah. And then how did Dan come into the picture for Lunar Crush? Dan and John had built a little, um, like website building CMS company together. Um, like, and they built super fast websites and it was, you know, your agency could build sites very quickly, um, or, consumers can build out sites. So they built a, a cool little app. Um, it's called blocks. They're still, you can still make websites on there. Um, mm -hmm. and they had worked together on a couple other things prior to that. Um, and so, yeah, man, just, you know, they were, they were friends. And so I knew Dan through John. And so John and I Got were it. just kind of going back and forth on crypto craziness. We had a bunch of different ideas that we wanted to launch. And then we came up with kind of what we thought would be what Lunar Crush did it turned into. And we just went to Dan and we're like, yo, do you think you could like pull this data and kind of get it together in a way that makes sense? And he's like, yeah, I can figure, I figure that out. And that's, that's the beginning. And the rest is history. So yeah. the ideas that sort of spiraled before Lunar Crush came into existence, do you remember what, what those ideas were? Tons of ideas. I mean, we had, I mean, there was one, it was like, like a lot of, there were some interesting ones around like restaurant suggestions. So like, like lunch okay. suggestions based on, 
you know, kind of what you were interested in eating. Like we, I kind of think about like Uber eats, but not having to make the decision. Okay. You know, so like basically kind of like on how you felt and everything else, like a recommendation engine around that. That was kind of cool. We had one that was kind of lunar crushy, which we're, we're always kind of talking about. And we kind of have features in lunar crush with like influencers and everything that we have in there that kind of plays off this. But we really felt that any sort of talking head out there from a financial industry. So think like a CNBC or like Jim Cramer's of the world and everyone, these people are Mm -hmm. constantly making calls out there of like, this is going to go up or this is going to go down or here's my call right here. And then they can either delete those tweets or delete that Reddit post, or they can kind of move something. And so we kind of had, we wanted to find, we wanted to create at one point a, a platform where it was kind of memorializing people's financial calls. And so mm-hmm. we kind of always felt that there was this outsized return for attention for people that were, you know, kind of clickbaity or like just pushing on hot button issues out there, like on a Twitter. But we felt like, man, there's probably someone that is trading so much better than that person, or is it so much better of an investor that should have clout? You know, so we were going to say like, there's a, you know, there's a supply and demand issue there. So that that's still something that we kind of think about a lot and can definitely play into what we do at Lunar Crush. But yeah, man, we had like, like we're constantly still coming up with ideas, but there's like 20 to 30 ideas at one point we created like a decision matrix and just, you know, weighted everything on what we thought was going to potentially go. And then, you know, kind of, you build what kind of fits into your talent too. And a time and place what's, what's ready being early is the same thing as uh, being wrong. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Lunar Crush because you guys have a very unique product in the market and you guys very much aggregate social insights and sentiment around what's happening in the space across multiple platforms. And now you guys recently introduced the NFT side of things, right? And tracking sentiment around NFT communities. Um, that was released last month, a couple months ago, right? Yep. What, what has been the progress in so far? Like, how are you seeing people utilize a tool? Has it been utilized the same way as they're utilizing the other sort of uh, ERC-20 based social metrics or are you seeing anything different? I will say the NFT community is a lot friendlier. Okay. It's a lot friendlier. When we post things out to Twitter on that, people will congratulate other influencers. We'll be like, oh, these are the top influencers on this thing. And people will be like, go Adam, or this is awesome, or this person's great. A lot of times in crypto, it's it's very tribal and people are like, you know, fuck that guy. Like, right. why is he beating me? Which I don't think is the right way to think about it. Um, no, we we've seen, you know, it's NFTs are probably 10 to 15% of the traffic we get now on the site which is pretty cool. And, we're, and that's kind of continually growing. It's becoming a larger piece, a bigger share of what we're doing. Um, and yeah, we're, we're, you know, when we launched crypto, it was just kind of, you feel it out, you know, which communities do you add? You know, where's the attention? Where's the audience? How do you support that? And so we launched a couple months ago and I'd say we are in kind of reconnaissance uh, phase of just seeing what the community thinks about it. How are those communities using it differently than, you know, potentially using it for trading with crypto. Mm -hmm. How are people potentially going to integrate our API um, into maybe what they're building? Um, But we, we felt with NFTs, you know, we also launched it, I would say like, you know, smack dab in the middle of a bear market, you know, people don't even want to like open their phones and look at their portfolio. Like I have no money left. Um, (laughs) But I, I think, you know, it's a, when you think about crypto and you think about the type of information and, and data that you can get back, um, you know, it, 
there are no earnings reports and 10 Ks. You know, I always talk about this of, you know, there's not a very specific way to delineate value. Right. Um, and it's, it's very community driven, but there are some fundamentals there. People can still draw their lines on charts and they can still look at wallet addresses or, Got it. you know, maybe GitHub commits, even though you can't see all the GitHub commits. And so there's really no value in that, but you can, with NFTs, it's just pure community. It is just, what is the sentiment of that? community and that project and who is a part of that. And so it's a, it's a more, I would say, you know, native sentiment driven, you know, community driven marketplace. And so for us, it's pretty cool to kind of see that happen. And I think we're still, we're still figuring it out. We're still learning. Part of the reason why I wanted to have you on this season is because it's all around on-chain data and just data in general in crypto. And as more creators sort of enter the space and as you guys sort of added the NFT uh, social insights tool, I think it's interesting. Maybe if you could even share some trends or interesting findings you've you've sort of discovered, you or your team, um, or maybe someone in the community discovered that maybe it wasn't as apparent as uh, yeah as as not having that that insight, for example. I mean, from a global or a macro perspective, right now, I think the interesting part to me, you know, being in the being in the industry for four years now as an operator and, you know, being an investor a couple of years before this is the, the, you know, as we always say, like the, the kind of the base level of, you know, community members or contributors as we call them in the industry is, is a much higher number than it was like in the last, you know, bear market. There's a ton of people waiting on the sidelines right now that are, you know, know exactly how to use a MetaMask wallet or have money sitting in Coinbase or have connected bank accounts to the, you know, to the Web3 ecosystem um, that are just waiting in the wings. You know, they're they're out there and everyone is feeling what's happening from a macroeconomic standpoint right now. Inflation is hurting people. You know, I just posted last night, mortgage rates are at seven and gas prices are at seven in California. Right. I just drove by a gas station this morning. It was it crazy. Was, Six fifty nine, six eighty nine, and seven dollars for gasoline. And you know, to own a you know million dollar house, which you know is not that crazy out in California, like believe it or not, um, you know, it's going to cost you eight thousand dollars a month to own something like that. And it's a two bed, two bath. Like things are things are all all out of whack right now. And I think that's kind of making its way through the system. But um, you know, kind of what I've seen is that the community is there. The community is strong. And the builders are building. Yes, there have been, you know, some some blow ups in the space. I think we had our crypto had our Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns moment this year. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think it's going to come back 10 times as strong after that because of what we're seeing and how many people are still talking about crypto and are out there and what the communities look like and what's growing. So, you know, I think we're collecting anywhere from you know, four or five million posts a day, which can mean a billion to 5 billion engagements. So people interacting with those posts a day that are out there, those are pretty big numbers. Um, and so people are out there and they're, they're ready to go. I think when, when things kind of come back. Yeah. What do you, what do you think is the best way on um, strategies to sort of navigate the bear market? Um, Cause you've already been through a few cycles and you've obviously stuck through, you've built a company, uh, you have users, like you're figuring it out, right? And a lot of people that maybe entered through this last cycle, whether it be creators, everyday users, they're sort of maybe seeing this downturn, maybe losing faith, losing hope. Um, they've issued maybe NFTs and they were maybe optimistic about them, but now sort of seeing 
the dust weave sort of kind of like scatter across crypto Twitter. Cause also engagement online, I feel like has decreased, right? Like it, it, it's maybe even gotten quieter a little bit, but it's, I, I feel like more quality, like the people who are there are there, like they've stuck through thick and thin, right? But for those who are going through it from the first, for, for the first time, how do you sort of advise someone to navigate the situation? Well, if what's, what you're saying is true, that person's probably not even listening right now. They're just like, oh my God. Um, but if they are listening, I would say, you know, my, my kind of story right now is, um, you know, I have a, like a great uncle, he just turned 101. Um, and you know, he, I think he had his, his last startup he started when he was like 92 and like, like sold it when he was like 97. Wow. Right. So it's like, he's, that was a five-year-old business. Like it's older than Lunar Crush. That business was long older and he started at 92. So I'd say if you're like 25 and you're like, oh my God, it's like you could start a business in 62 years or, you know, whatever that, or yeah, 60 some years, odd years from now and still run a business and maybe sell it. Like I, the, the time horizon and the way that people are thinking about what's in front of their face versus what's happening 30, 40 years down the line is just outrageous right now. It's, this is a long game. And I think even being through a couple of cycles, you just kind of get numb to it a little bit and you just try to make the adjustments and you kind of, you know, as you get a little bit older, you kind of see around the corner just a little bit more because um, you see a little bit of the signs and history repeats itself to a degree. Um, you know, it, it, what do they say? History um, does not repeat itself, but it rhymes. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's kind of, you kind of see some of those things. And so I'd say, man, if this is your first, like bear cycle, I'd say like, just be stoked that like NFTs even exist. And like, <laughs> you get to even be a part of that and just go learn, right? Like if you had to go, say you tried to do a startup, you had to go get a job for a little bit, go get a job for a little bit, you know, enjoy that. And, you know, maybe do a couple of things, especially if you're in your twenties, go travel, go figure things out. You know, it's, there's, if you're highly obsessed and you need to be starting a company, you will be. And you're just going to naturally figure things out based on just the grind that you go through. Um, so if your head's down and you're going to go do that, you're just, you're going to figure it out if you're curious enough, yeah. I would say. And so if you're an investor, you're someone out there that's just a community member and, and excited about what's going on in the industry, I'd say like just keep enjoying those communities and keep trying to add value where you can keep carrying the industry forward. And then they'll you know, look for ways that you can go work for potentially companies that are still hiring in Web3 that you know, our, you know, that way you can get the experience because if we, yeah. we will hit a day where, you know, there, there will be a lot of people with enough experience in web three, where that's not just a differentiator to say like, oh yeah, I, I love crypto. So that's like enough to give you a job there. It's like, you need to start kind of figuring out how the infrastructure works and get some experience. Yeah. And I think that sentiment applies, whether you're starting a company, whether you're a creator, starting a new project, minting NFTs, whatever the action may be just sort of powering through learning, trying to find a way to give back and not just take, right? In the bull market, a lot of people extracted value that didn't really get returned back into the ecosystem. And now everybody that sort of powered through is trying to find a way to still like build momentum, sell out a drop, but it needs to be done in a more strategic way, I feel like. Um, and using Lunar Crush, you can even kind of like figure out what those sentiments are, uh, what the behavior is like, what the energy is like across crypto Twitter amongst other platforms. Um, I'm curious to hear your point of view um, on a recent trend that's sort of emerging in Web3 across crypto Twitter is Web3 social. Um, and uh, we're seeing a lot of new, like decentralized social applications emerge. And uh, 
that are sort of creating like a new environment, one for creators to build communities and to monetize communities, but two, I guess also from your point of view, like different, like new markets for people to trade and speculate on, for example. Um, how are you seeing this new social web three social landscape sort of evolve? Um, do you have any thoughts about that? It's not fully decentralized yet. Okay. Right. It can't be. All right. We still have a couple missing pieces in the infrastructure, right? We don't have an AWS for blockchain, right? There's, you can't scale an application, you know, imagine like, imagine like Instagram and like waiting for like the transaction, right? Like you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. It's like, oh, I got to pay gas fee on this, or I have to have a wallet with something. It's like, it's just not possible yet. But it, there are these kind of blends, right? Like a web 2.5 and a lot of stuff is, is like that, I would say. Um, and so I would say, you know, to the purists out there, they're just like, this is not even, this isn't web three, right? Which is interesting to think about. Um, but I would say from a social perspective, there's a, there's a drive, right? For that, because people are nervous about their data, right? They're nervous about, you know, trusting massive corporations because of the complexity of those massive corporations, right? Like it's not necessarily like Facebook is evil. It's, you know, how are the controls in place for the three to 400 potential admins at that company that are just, you know, everyday people that are out there trying to live their lives that make a salary. And, you know, even if Facebook's paying that person $500,000 a year, a million dollars a year to be an admin of that, it's not a lot of money for someone else to come in and exploit holes. Right. And so how do you have those controls in place? It's, it's like, you can't. And so I think, or it hasn't been solved completely yet. And so I think that the, the consumer out there is just, they want their data. I mean, you see it in all the privacy commercials, you know, Apple's, I think, I think Apple's trying to own privacy and now Google's trying to own security. Like they're picking different words mm -hmm. that mean kind of the same thing because they want it there. They, Google's like, Hey, we're going to keep all your passwords secure. Right. That's like their ad right now. And Apple's all about like privacy and creating masked emails and, there's this shift there and everyone's trying to get out ahead of that. It's so it's such bullshit though, because this whole marketing scheme on security and privacy and the reason why we have data exploitation and sort of like surveillance is because they all started on these hardware devices. Like they enabled that, right? And the level of access and security that they kind of granted and uh, the features that platforms were able to build alongside on iOS, whatever, Android, like they were the reason, like they were the foundation as <laughs> to so why these exploits happened, right? And why we're sort of like in this new revolution of decentralization, of, of interoperability, of data ownership, of network ownership, right? Um, these are ethos and values that didn't exist, I guess, like, like maybe 10 years ago when a lot of this yeah. stuff was brewing. But now you're starting to see the consumer mindset shift. And there's a reason why they're targeting all these new marketing campaigns towards the, the consumer, because now people care about that stuff, which I think is a very bullish signal for, for Web3. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where it was going with is that's why I think people want that, right? They want to own their, their data. And I, there's a massive opportunity that's being missed right now from it, like from a machine learning and an AI standpoint around your data, right? Because like, this is why encryption is so important. And this is why owning your own data is so important. It's yes, it's because it's yours, right? But it's what it could potentially unlock, right? Imagine if you know, they, I had this camera open all day and this camera, and maybe I had a, a watch on, or I had some, some glasses on that actually got my blood pressure, right? Not just my heart rate, which I actually just talked to a, an amazing company and it going through a tech stars program that's doing that. 
where you now have my blood pressure, you now have a computer vision on my face, um, and I'm working all day. And between the two of those, it's now picking up, hey, it, it knows that my blood pressure is going up at this point in time. It knows that maybe I have, I'm like my face, I'm like I'm squinting or I'm doing these things, I'm upset. And I can get, you know, if you're in the zone or you're focused or you're doing something, you can get a notification that says, hey, it looks like you should take a break, right? Your heart, your, your blood pressure is now going up, right? You're, you're, you look like you're upset, right? Like the, if you're driving a vehicle, right? And you're, it looks like you're tired or, you know, a baby's crying in the backseat or people, God forbid, leave a baby in the backseat. Like that does happen, uh, which is crazy to think about, but I don't want some company having all that data or something as crazy as like, Hey, what if you want to walk naked around your house all day? And like, Hey, it's like, Hey, it looks like you have added a couple of pounds, right? Or whatever else it may be. I don't want someone else having that data. I don't want 400 engineers you at Amazon, Google. <laughs> Depends on how you are. I mean, if you're like, you know, maybe it's like, you just got to put it all out there anyway. You just post all to the internet you get out ahead maybe. of it. I think that would be a great, you know, I think Bezos did that, didn't he? And so <laughs> I think, I think the amount of intelligence that you could get from this is unbelievable, right? But I don't want 300 engineers at Facebook looking at that data. I don't want 300 engineers, you know, wherever else it may be having and having access to that. And so, mm -hmm. you know, this is where I think the the rub is for, for Web3 is, can we get to a spot where I do have full autonomy over that data? It is encrypted to a level that is not, breakable, right? Like quantum computing is, is potentially coming here. And how do you find things that are quantum resistant? Now people are talking about, it. it's crazy that we're even talking about some of these things, but it's out there, but it's like, man, I just, I just want to own my regular data. Right. And I want to be the person that's out there so that I could pick the algorithm to go. And, you know, I could say, Hey, I, I do want to know if I'm, you know, feeling a bunch, bunch of angst and I need to go like, listen to taking back Sunday for a couple hours to feel better, you know? What's up, guys? Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to tell you about Bello, a new blockchain analytics tool I built that helps Web3 native creators and communities learn more about their collectors and their on-chain behavior. Through a simple search, Bello's intelligence can help you figure out a price for your NFT drop, show you what other communities your collectors are a part of, and empower you with insights to make confident decisions on how to grow your community. I built Bello with you in mind. So as a creator myself, Bello has helped me make money by finding sponsors for the podcast and allowed me to curate better content for you guys. And now it's ready to help other creators too. If you're a Web3 native creator, NFT project founder, or community manager, join the waitlist to try Bello's beta product today by signing up at bello.lol forward slash join. That's B-E-L-L-O dot L-O-L forward slash join. All right, back to the episode. So double down more on what you mean by owning your data, because in Web3, there's this whole notion of like, you are the co-owner of a network, right? You own your community or your community kind of like, they have a level of co-ownership amongst each other and the value that they create, they even capture more of it. As someone who's building data products, right? Um, how do you sort of further understand the concept of owning your data? What, what does that really mean? So you talked about the ability to sort of like say yes or no to things that sort of use your information. How does it go beyond that? Because that tends to be the sentiment that I hear over and over again. Like I can basically turn off this accessibility from a product or a company using my information. Like, nope, no more. Like you can't, you can't leverage that, right? How, how else do you see that evolving? 
Well, that's step one. But even if you give someone that, that data, like how encrypted is that data? Right. And, and can they, you know, so say I give someone access to that data and now they're storing it on their side. Right. And so everything that I've given them at a point in time, sure, I can turn it off. But is that enough of a step forward? And I own this data and I know that no one will ever see it. Right. And this is my this is my data. So when I say owning data, I mean, it's yours. Like no one else has access to it. You own it. No one else owns it or has it or even has it. It might own might be the wrong word. Right. Because it's who owns what data and how and why and what is proprietary. Right. Like what is a novel piece of, of data, right? Mm. If I use, if I use Facebook's platform and my data is on there and I upload a picture or I upload that picture to, to Instagram, that's whose data now it's a picture of me that I uploaded to my, to an account. I'm paying their advertisers are paying them for my attention. Who owns that picture? Right. It's an interesting thing to think about. And right now it's, it's out on the internet. Yes, it's public forum. It's out there. Um, but what's that ownership look like? And I think Web3 is moving so quickly and, and disrupting this so fast that, you know, I, I don't even think regulation is even going to be able to catch up to some of this stuff um, just because it's going to go so fast. And so I think that's the cool part. Like the sovereign, the sovereign side of the sovereign individual is, hey, if the government's not going to do it, not going to protect me, someone else is going to protect me, I need to protect myself. And so I feel like there's that just kind of like mantra vibe that right. is in the Web3 space where people are like, well, we just need to do ourselves. Right, right. But the way we're sort of doing things right now is that everything's on an open network across multiple open networks. And while things tend to be anonymous, users have choice whether or not they want to dox themselves to an extent, right? Maybe there's like more advanced tools like chain analysis that can sort of track the, the activity online and piece it back to an individual in the real world. But in general, like activity individuals, they tend to be anonymous online and something that, that I sort of look at and I appreciate when it comes to building an audience, monetizing an audience in Web3 is sort of the level of access and transparency you have to that information and being able to build and become either a smarter creator, a smarter user on how you navigate your, your way across the internet, right? In, in, in the decentralized internet. Um, and, and I'm curious, like for someone who's building, uh, like social sentiment, right. And maybe I'm, and I'm, I'm not sure how much of it is actually on chain data versus off chain data. Like what do you have a percentage mix or is it all off chain? We, we don't pull any on chain data. So for us, you know, if you're going to say, Hey, would you guys go and, you know, what does your roadmap look like? Would you go and add, you know, I mean, we, we have RPCs that we're, we're hitting and we're pulling data constantly to understand what's going on on these chains, whether it's for NFTs and we're looking at different things, but we're not showcasing that in an analytics uh, format or a time series way. And anyway, um, for us, it's, Hey, we're going to go grab what's the community look like on TikTok, or what's the, what do mm. these discord communities look like? Um, you know, what other kind of social media, you know, can we pull or go deeper on the analysis of the social media that we have? And so that's kind of what we see the value as. And our mission is to kind of create transparency across social for investors or anyone yeah. that, are, that is part of it. But I also, I also love what's going on with a lot of the, the on-chain analysis because data is important, right? To, and you do get smarter and operate your business and you can create better products and you can create more efficient businesses if you do have the correct analytics to know what's going on, right? Or if you're a startup, it's, 
you know, imagine going to a, an investor, you know, and them saying like, oh, what, what does the user base look like? Or do you guys create enough value that people want to pay you for it? Do you have a business there? And you're like, yeah, we just don't really know. Like, we just don't know at all what's going on because it's all anonymous and all everything. And so I think you have to get smarter and work with the KPIs that you get as a business. And, you know, the KPIs start to change and they start to adjust. And I think a lot of the Web2 companies are going to have to take a deep look at this and say, hey, I can't drop a SDK that does attribution, you know, across like my five apps and drive ads to that and do paid media in these places, you have to get smarter. And that's where like what you're doing here with the show content creation is, is insane. It's, it is the, like, I forget where I heard this, but it was someone talking about what's harder um, to create Kim Kardashian's audience and then launch a shoe brand or to launch a shoe brand and then try to build Kim Kardashian's audience to sell those shoes. It's impossible to build Kim Kardashian's right. audience, right? And so it's like, shoes a dime a dozen, right? So it's like these content creators and, and the media is changing. And so it's so impactful and so important to go down, to go down that route because it's also your built-in organic audience that's going to drive the brand. It's going to drive that affinity. And um, the faster people can figure that out, I think the better. And there's this point in time where someone's an influencer and then it's like a brand. Right. And you can tell the different way that those people create content, right? Like when you see a tweet from Nike versus, you know, a tweet from a NFT influencer, right? The Nike thing is like, oh, we created this spot or we created this thing. And here's how we want you to feel about what's going on. And then the influencer is like, here's how I feel. Here's what the, here's the way I want to see the world. And so mm-hmm. people are, it's easier to build a brand around that. It's easier to build products around that. And so if you're building a business, you need to think about that in an interesting way. So, Give me some examples on how you've seen either traders, creators uh, leverage data. Because in, in many in many instances, Joe, like what you guys are building is very analogous to what's happening on chain, right? So you guys are sort of scraping open networks, open ecosystems, right? And making sense of the information very much so how a lot of these on-chain like analytic tools, for example, are scraping on-chain data and trying to make sense of that noise. Well, using using the data that we have, you know, there's a bunch of different types of customers that we have or users that we have or community members, right? Cause everyone, you gotta remember everyone's goal when it comes to, to money or investment is different. It's, it's completely unique and individual. And so you might have someone that's just coming into the industry that's trying to understand what's going on. Maybe they land on Lunar Crush and like, oh, cool. I could see, you know, what Chainlink's community looks like over time versus you know, maybe what API three's community looks like over time. And that's interesting. And so I, I, I've done some research and I think that, you know, oracles are a interesting way that I want to, I think they are going to be very valuable in the future. And so I'm going to pick one of those, or maybe I'm going to pick both, right? Because both are pretty solid. Right. Um, and so we give you that kind of extra dimension to make a decision on for things like that. Um, and, you know, or discoverability, right? Like you're out there and you're saying like, man, what, what projects are out there that are interesting? I've got, you know, I want to, you know, look at a project maybe that is smaller, maybe it's a small team, you know, maybe they only have a couple mentions across whatever, like, you know, social media site that's out there, or maybe I saw something or a friend messaged me about it. Now you can come and get that kind of extra layer, extra dimension of, it's not just the price and the market cap and everything else. It's like, what does this community look like? 
who are maybe some of the influencers that have posted about this? Oh, dang, I saw this influencer. I've seen this influencer on like 30 other tokens that have gone to zero. Probably stay away, <laughs> right? Like, so there's those types of things. We're we're trying not to make judgment calls too much because, you know, we, we but we do want to provide the cleanest and most organized source of data possible so that people can make those educated decisions on their own. But people ask us like, oh, why did you guys list this shit coin? You know, right. or this scam project. And I'm like, well, first off, how do you know it's a scam project? Did you like, do you have any, like, who are you? Right. And second off it, if we don't list it and show that this, you know, we calculate spam and we calculate, you know, who the influencers are. If we don't show that they don't have anywhere to go to make that decision. They're just in the dark again. And so, you know, you have to look at the good and the bad and you have to kind of create a playing field, um, that's even, and that's doesn't change very often so that people can over time kind of know the decision and the decision doesn't change on them. And it's not like we're changing the algorithm a year later and now suddenly collection right. looks different, right? Like you, you, you kind of benchmark these, you know, you benchmark the way that you collect and what these, you know, these metrics look like so people can get a little bit smarter decision. Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making when using data to guide their decision-making process? Any come to mind? Maybe too much. They're, they're relying too much on the data and they're not going a little bit with what their intuition is. Okay. You know, it's, it, I see it as, I forget if it was like, it was like base camp or something. Um, I think his name's Jason, Jason Friedberg, maybe uh, Friedman. And he, he was talking about, I mean, they never took VC money, um, you know, and they, they didn't really even have like KPIs. They probably had some KPIs where like, Hey, how much money did we make this month? Is it more than we had to pay? You know, but it was very light touch. Um, I think when it came to roadmap and, um, you know, tons and tons and tons of user testing, I would say, and like, Oh, we need to, you know, ABCD test this color on the homepage, right? It's like, no, you don't like, you don't need to, ABCD test that and have a designer just like hate their life while they work for you, creating like a B test for like in perpetuity. Um, so I think sometimes too much, too much data is maybe a burden. It's, I, I think it's finding a KPI that's so valuable that you don't even want to tell anyone what that KPI is and, and boiling that down to one or two things that you think really impact your business or really impact your investing strategy um, find what works for you, what your, everyone's risk tolerance is different. Um, you know, you I'm sure you got people aping into crazy, you know, projects All that are coming out. And stuff, just, yeah. Yeah. They're just like, you know what, like, you know, and, and the, those people are a little sadistic, right? It's like almost being addicted to gambling. Like they want to go to zero, mm -hmm. right? They want, like they need to get there. There's a little bit of that. So if you get, if you have a friend like that, like maybe, you know, send it, there's a 1-800 number to send them. But <laughs> I, I think, I think it's, it's more about, it's more about finding what, what works for you. What's your risk tolerance and, you know, then kind of working your way out from there because trading is very difficult. It's very hard. You know, it, even like investing can be seen as trading in a way, you mm -hmm. know, first off, it's like, what's in your funnel, right? What are you, what are you actually seeing, right? Like if you're coming onto and you're a VC and you're going to launch a fund, it's like, do you just think you're going to get like the best deal flow? You think Uber's just going to walk in your front door? Like, no, it's not. Um, so there's, there's a time period to understanding, 
you know, are you seen and do you have enough purview? Do you have enough time to dedicate to it? I think for the most part, I think most people probably don't. And so I think the future is in order for in our space to kind of keep swinging that pendulum towards the consumer and giving them power um, over some of the institutions and some of the kind of the not level playing field that's happening out there is to create more automation. You know, it's kind of like with Robinhood, like everyone's an investor now, right? Like uh, Robinhood made options easy. Like who can make options easy? It's impossible, mm -hmm. right? But it's like, if they figured that out, maybe they, they made the interface so simple that people can figure out how to do that. We can make crypto easy, right? And we can make investing easy in a diversified, low risk basket of projects. Um, we can make that happen. And I think that's another piece. I think I saw Michael Saylor post something about, he was like, oh, Bitcoin's up 86% in the last two years. And then like Google, Apple, blah, blah, blah. All these things were down, right? Mm -hmm. All these equities were down. Um, and then, you know, what he didn't mention was there's like 48 other, whether it's a layer one or a large cap crypto project that's now a massive DAO and ecosystem fund and has a larger VC fund than most VCs in the country is up 2,914%, right? It's like, they're just glancing over. And these were two year timelines as well, right? And it's like, sure, like you could say that, you know, maybe sometime in the future that those things might not exist, but like you were talking about a two year timeline and you glanced over 50 to a hundred other projects that just absolutely destroyed the return of the, of the kind of main project out there. And I think there's something interesting in that because you know, the S and P 500 is only 500 stocks. QQQ right. is only a hundred companies, right? The Dow is 30 companies. And so to, like to not pay attention to the top 100 to 200 projects in the web three space that have outperformed everything. Even if there were only 250 crypto projects going forward, that's still a massive piece of the market. Everyone's like, Oh, tens of thousands go to zero. Well, so do tens of thousands of companies go to zero every year. People start lots of pizza shops and they don't make it. And so I think it's people just are they're They're not, their perspective is, is so skewed because of what, you know, their, their feed looks like their individual feed. And my new thing now is don't trust your feed, mm -hmm. right? Like I just told you there were like 5 yeah, million Yeah, I just posts. saw you tweet that. Yeah. 5 million posts a day. Like, I mean, I, who do I see? I see like you posting like some dumb things on Twitter. I'm posting <laughs> some dumb things on Twitter and then like John replying to them and like, that's it. Right. That's it. Yeah. And, but that's like three people. And then I'm just telling you there's 5 million crypto specific posts a day and 5 Crazy. billion engagements on top of that. Like you can't, Crazy. you can't see what's going on. Crazy. Wild. As we uh, continue our path down the bear market, Joe, what's on your radar? What are you looking forward to? Any new topics, any new sort of primitives, ideas, communities, chill it away. Like I'm curious to get some alpha because you're so close to the data. What are you saying? The bear market's going to continue. You're saying we're going down. I think maybe we it's over today. I, I, whether it's down or not, it's gonna it's it's like it's like it's still walking forward. That's how I sort of see it. It's like it's not going up yeah. yet. It's not going further down, but it's sort of steady. And it's it, the, the the tide may sort of continue at that pace for a minute. Okay, September twenty seventh. That's Adam's call in the market. Yes, yes. Uh, twenty twenty two. Yeah, I, I do think I think we're we've got a lot of uncertainty still out there. Um, I do think that the worst of at least the major kind of news from, from crypto is, is kind of through, we're through the woods on a lot of that. Um, so I think there's just going to be this choppiness 
you know, as everyone kind of trades off the same, the same narrative, you know, which is also interesting to me because it's like, you know, if I'm, um, you know, the, the chairman of the fed and I'm saying, I'm going to raise rates in the United States. And then suddenly like, you know, maybe my company is on, you know, the, the DAX in Germany and I, my company now goes, you know, the value of my company goes down because of like the chairman in the U S I feel like that's also just kind of interesting. Like it just shows you how correlated and how uncertain everything is right now. Um, but you know, when you think about different technologies that are being built right now, you know, what I'm, when I'm starting to see the beginning of right now that is coming to market um, is the industry is going to start kind of horizontally scaling. So as opposed to, you know, when you think about, you can vertically scale. So like make Ethereum super fast, low fees, everyone just can be on Ethereum because it's just Epic and, you know, there's no gas fees and there's no anything you don't need to bridge over. That's like a vertical scale. And then you think horizontal scale is, you know, going out from there. So going to different layer ones. So going to the, you know, the polygons, the world, the stacks of the world going, you know, off to off to cosmos right so that's kind of the the horizontal scale and so another layer out from that though is what you're seeing across um you know binance application sidechain or polygon supernets um i think avalanche c chain maybe and then um like cosmos kind of pioneered this with like the internet of blockchains um i think they've been just kind of the brand has been obviously beaten down a little bit by what happened with with terra um, but you still see really solid projects rebuilding over there um, because the interoperability and the composability part of being able to kind of move around from standalone blockchain to standalone blockchain is is very intriguing, I think. And so, you know, you can almost think about it as if you're going to create an application sidechain or you're going to create some sort of standalone blockchain, I'm not calling it a layer one. Right. Like it's not like these projects are going to have a standalone blockchain and then go mm-hmm. like for the most part, kind of compete with Ethereum or compete with Polygon. That's not what they're doing. They're saying, hey, like I want to be my own gas fee. And I think that the transaction speed and the decentralization is great enough that that's the that's kind of the trade off. Right. So almost think about spinning up like a test net on Ethereum. You know, and you've got six to eight nodes or whatever you have. And now imagine that being its own standalone blockchain that you build your own application on. And, you know, you could kind of bridge back and forth um, to whatever kind of chain or ecosystem that you need to. But for whatever the specific purpose is of your application, you are um, spinning something up. You're spinning a couple of nodes up for that specifically. So I think that that's an interesting thing that's that's starting to happen. And I think we're going to see more of it. And it's because the infrastructure is getting uh, a lot more simple to do so. So, you know, it used to be very hard to go, you know, buy a bunch of boxes and stand up like servers in your garage. You know, I think we've all seen like HBO Silicon Valley, where he's got like blow through the wall. Right. He's got, like, I think he even had a name for it. I should know. I watched that show so many times. It's hilarious. But, um, you know, it's, that was the way that, you know, servers used to be run. You know, it even used to be, you know, the dumb terminals, right? At an office, you'd have this IBM mainframe sitting in this kind of back office, and then you'd have a terminal. So you'd have your monitor, you know, it would go to this mainframe. And then like in the 90s, you know, you started to have like processing speed increase, and then like the amount of space on, you know, the personal computer increase, and things were kind of moving back to the house a little bit. Cable started to kind of go out there, and Ethernet went out there. And so then it started to go there a little bit. There were like zip drives. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. remember that. You're a lot younger than I am, but... 
there was that thing going on. And then like the cloud came and it was like whoop, right back. Right. And now we're almost going to a dumb terminal again. Like I've got my phone and it's mm -hmm. all up there, which when I say up there, it means it's in a data center in Ohio or a mm -hmm. data center in Oregon or wherever it may be. But I think that the, the, my, my point there is it's gotten so simple to spin up a cloud instance and build a, you know, a cloud app that runs super fast and can be all over the world. There's an advantage to that. You can build huge businesses on top of that infrastructure. And so with crypto and with Web3, we're now going to continue to build out that infrastructure. And so it's going to be much more simple for projects to kind of build out application sidechains that are easy to use and more of that content is on chain. So the transparency mm -hmm. increases, mm -hmm. you know, imagine like Coinbase, like just saying, Hey, we're going to build on right. an application side chain. And right. we have these nodes that are run by these, who knows, consulting companies or whatever it may be, proof of authority, kind of like VeChain kind of pioneered some of that stuff. But you have Coinbase doing that and trying to bring as many transaction transactions on chain as you can. Right. When you send money to Coinbase, it goes to like their Coinbase wallet. And then, you know, they have other kind of sub wallets, which, right. you know, they have their own kind of internal system there, which is interesting if you think about Coinbase and everyone doing that, they could have just picked usernames. Could have. But you have a wall you have a wallet address there. Right. But you could just pick anything else, which I think is like was a really smart move for them because it trained everyone. But so yeah, that's what I'm really I'm excited to see kind of what that does, right? What kind of projects are going to be built? How does it look when, you know, there's five hundred standalone blockchains that are would probably have launched as some sort of token or anything else. Sure. You know, it's like, why doesn't like when people talk about ApeCoin, you know, and they're like, oh, they're going to be on their own chain. You know, it's like, it's not that big of a lift, you know, as it, as it potentially used to be. Right. Right. I think those are all really good insights. Um, and I think it's also a perfect place to, to wrap up, but before I let you go, Joe, where can we find you? Where can we find Lunar Crush? Um, shill it away. Yeah. Just at Lunar Crush on Twitter and at Jovez, J-O-E-V-E-Z-Z. Let's can, go. You see me and Adam banter back and forth. <laughs> if you if you dig YouTube uh, and you, you dig deep enough, you'll find some old cringy uh, videos, but classic videos to say to say the least. But um, yeah, man, thanks for being on. Always welcomed on. Until next time. All right, brother. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, then you are a champ, and I owe you a free listener pin. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT, fill in your info, and I'll distribute the NFT towards the end of the season. By collecting your pin, you prove your contribution to the season and get exclusive access to content, allow lists, and more. So be sure to collect yours. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. This helps me out so much. And finally, hit me up on Twitter at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you simply want to chat. I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. So thanks again for your support. It means the world, and I'll see you on the next episode.